And I could do a little minor adjustment on the fly. Yeah, we're good. Boom! Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hood. And I'm here today with the CR2 crew. I got Chris and Chris, uh, the, the R brothers there. <laughs> I got to come up with new things for you guys because I don't even know what the heck, you know. And now you're adding more probably. It's going to be like the third, the square, the quarters. How you guys here. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I said CR2 crew works. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk too loud because it'll cut your mic out. So uh, just talk normal. But yeah, it's um, CR2 works, man. The CR2 crew is great. So uh, I guess you guys were listening to the last podcast and it, and it hit a, not a nerve, but it hit a, it, it, it hit a touch point that said, hey, we think we're on the same page here. Yeah. So I was, like I was saying, I was listening to your podcast yesterday. I, uh, I moved into a new office. And so I've been um, I've been putting furniture together. You know, I had to put a couch together. I actually was literally putting the couch together uh, when I was listening to your podcast, and I was like, "Wow, that that's a pretty interesting topic." And it actually kind of gets at some of the stuff that we're trying to accomplish with CR two going forward, um, because we you know we kind of realized like for one, there's a lot of precision rifle instructors out there. We have our take on it, and we think it's pretty good. Um, but we think that there's a lot of other skill sets, especially within this this family of um, of skills that you know can 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 kind of uh, you know enhance or or complement you know the shooting side of things, especially for our active duty and even our law enforcement uh, bubbas that are that follow what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We we talk. Uh, I mean, we look at one little minor sliver of this, like the comps. You know, the comp world. And everything talks and focuses around, you know, that comp or this comp. Really, man, that's such a small amount. There's not a whole lot of those comp people that you think. Well, then you roll into the law enforcement, you roll into the military stuff. And if you think about it, I mean, me anyway, when we had no money and the wars weren't going up, our bolt rifles sat pretty dormant for a while. We did a lot of other things and our bolt rifles kind of sit there waiting for a job. Yeah. But there's a job to do. And that's right. where you guys are at where, hey, man, you know, we, we talk about the shooting. We talk about, you know, even snipers hide and sniping if you want to. And, the sh you know, if we can go to a shooting competition and be a marksman and shoot and focus on the rifle. But the military guys and everybody else got to focus on everything else. And so that's why we were all looking at the um, the applied ballistics with the ELR stuff. And there was a... a Comments in the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association forum, then you guys' conversation. So, like, go ahead with a background of what you're looking at. Is because I mean, you get. I tell people the shots like ten percent, but it's to get there and get back. Right, you got to go there and all the things that take, and then you got to come home. Yeah. And what happens between you know A and B and B and A? Cause that's, right. that's most of your time. So yeah, man, where, where are you guys at? You know, from on the army side, you know, one of the things that's been kind of a mantra over the last decade or so was the shoot, move and communicate. So the shooting portion of it, like you said, was just like at 10%. And it was all the things you did because, you know, as snipers, your, your job is to collect battlefield information. You know, that's your, 
we, we you know, when shooting is important, it's it's a hundred percent of the job. But when it's not, it's you know, it, it's the last thing on your on your thought process. And but we still have to, you know, surveil, conduct observation. You have to communicate that information back to the higher headquarters. You know, you might have to call in that close air support. Um, you know, talk friendly forces on. You know, even with the expansion of drone technology in the last ten years. You know, we're looking at small handheld drones that our, you know, our warfighters and especially the guys on the high side may have to employ. And so that's kind of what we're looking at with CR2 is um, is, is starting to, to 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 bring some of that into our curriculum. Um, and, and Chris has been, you know, he's been spearheading this a lot, Rance, um, because he's, he's really dived into the communication side of it. And so... Yeah, so like my experience uh, last year, I took a course with the Mojave Repeater guys out there in Las Vegas, and two phenomenal guys. They're two Marine Corps single officers, um, but they really opened my eyes to a lot of the skills that I was lacking, not only as a sniper, but just as just as a person in general. Um, so again, I attended their course, I learned a ton, and it really just opened the door to learning more about communications and really taking a deep dive into that realm um, of of skills. And so from that experience, um, again, I reached out to a lot of good, uh, personnel like via Instagram. I know one guy on there, the communicator, he's a phenomenal, uh, source of information. And he was actually able to patch me through to some Marine Corps courses that they offer on their side of the house in regards to communication. So just a few weeks ago, I was up at Camp Lejeune, uh, doing their IROC course, and again, it's a week-long uh, communication course, just kind of going over basic uh, radio principles and fundamentals. Um, but again, though, I just it kind of made me take a step back and realize that the Army just doesn't have these type of courses on our side of the house. And so what myself and Roberts, what we're trying to do is trying to offer these courses um, just to a greater mass. So, for example, we have the Mojave Repeater guys coming out in April to offer their RTO course and what we're hoping for is that it kind of stirs up uh, some buzz around, especially around the Fort Benning, Columbus area, and uh, just really getting just really getting guys back into the realm of communications. Because at the end of the day, if you can't communicate back to higher command, and if you if you lose that 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 communications, really it's a it's a compromise of mission. Um, and so again, whatever we can do to kind of you know minimize that, that's what we're trying to achieve. And also on the civilian side, of the house you know, not being able to communicate, um, especially look at what's currently going on right now over in Ukraine, where Russia is targeting certain communication assets, you know, it's putting the Ukrainians kind of at a disadvantage. And so by being able to know how to operate a radio or to tap into some type of mesh network, uh, that could be the difference between life and death. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. But Oh, go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. I know. I was just going to say, I mean, even on the just the comp side for people out there listening, look at like Sean and Greg, you know, in their team d- dynamic out there that everybody always talks about Sean and Greg, Sean and Greg. Well, if you want to have a good team dynamic and go shoot these comps and succeed, if you if you think about who was successful in the comp world, it's usually people working with other people who communicate really well, really efficiency, efficiently. So the RTO side of things that you're talking in the communication and learning the radio skills, now you're starting to develop a process, a method. You're going to say the same thing every way and repeat the most important information in a logical order for people 
That way everybody understands what we're going on. And that goes to communicating with your partner, with your spotter. You know, are you giving him the right amount of information or not? I mean, I went to King of Two Mile many, many times and filmed it. And I have video guys and teams that did not communicate well and couldn't get a hit on target because it's like it's right there. I could see it. It's like, dude, you got to come over here, come up here and do this. And instead, they don't know how to talk to each other. And they're just throwing rounds down range and they got nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, I watched a video of, of Sean and Greg that came out of the Vortex sniper match uh, from a couple weekends back. And, you know, the whole point of that video was to highlight their communication. Obviously, their shooting was phenomenal. Um, their economy of motion was great. But their communication was, was simple. Um, it was, it, you know, they said just enough, but not too much. And I think that, you know, on the competition side of things, you know, uh, team matches are growing. It's growing big time. Like guys are just looking at that. They're looking at getting back in the practical side of things. You know, you got NRL Hunter that's growing. The sniper matches are showing up all over the place. And I mean, Chris White was talking about it in his podcast. Uh, I think that he put up yesterday too, where, you know, he's talking about getting that information uh, across and, and ways to, you know, do that quicker, you know, through like the, some of the SIG binos and their, in the compass feature along with the, you know, distance and direction. Um, and, and so I just think that's really important. And, and, you know, even and, and, and a lot of people think of communications like this and they think that it only applies to the military and the civilian world or sorry, the military and the law enforcement world. But, you know, all the stuff that Chris is, is messing with for the most part has all been civilian, commercially available, off the shelf communications. And there's a huge, huge network. I mean, just watching him and then Ruben this over this past weekend. You know, as we're driving around, going to McDonald's and talking, you know, tapping into those weather those weather stations, repeaters, and and talking to different people across, you know, it's like, you know, what happens when our phones go down? And and we saw that we saw that uh, you know a year or two ago on Christmas um, when that when that uh, guy drove that that RV into Nashville, and you know anybody who was really kind of smart on that Nashville area realized that. One of the relay stations for AT&T was right there off of Broadway. Dude, I... He knocked down comms from Nashville all the way down to Atlanta. Yeah, and and, and sorry I cut you off because the way the internet's working here today. Um, I was there for 9-11 watching it on the beach. You know what I'm saying? No cells worked in fucking New York or Connecticut, dude. You were not making a phone call for days. Cause those systems were down, they were flooded. You were and Kim, my 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 ex Kim was with me in Connecticut. Her brother lived in Brooklyn. We were there the night before and had dinner on Tuesday or whatever it was. It was the tenth. Um, we had dinner on the tenth, and you know woke up on the morning of the eleventh. Nothing worked, and we could not communicate with him in Brooklyn. And by the crow flies, Brooklyn might have been fifty miles from me. You know, yeah. and, and you can't find them. You can't talk to them. There's 18 million people in that tri-state area at the time. And now you want to find one guy and try to reach him and, and nothing worked. Right. Yeah. And I'm not a big doomsday or end of the world kind of guy, but I do think about, you know, when we run into these situations where, you know, our normal, our normal lifelines are taken away from us, you know, how do we revert back to, you know, kind of the older times and, and still be able to, you know, to accomplish what we need to do. Um, yeah, I was talking to a friend this weekend that was coming back from Florida and there was a part of Florida that he was cutting through is in the Gainesville area and the gas station was out of gas. You know, people saw the prices going through the roof. And so they went and they hit that gas station as hard as they could and they took all the gas. 
And so he's he's trying to drive home to Kentucky, and now he's got no gas. Now you couple that with you know a loss in communications with, through cell towers and stuff like that. It's 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 not an unreal situation that's just so like oh that'll never happen. Like it's I mean it's happening right now. Yes, and these fuckers are breaking shit on purpose, and it will not be about above somebody to break stuff on us infrastructure wise and around us. I mean look at Seattle; they can take stuff down so easily within those four blocks or however many blocks it is. I mean, we're seeing this in American cities now. They're just keeping it kind of muted. But, right. I, I mean, there's areas that are absolutely being affected. And, um, yeah, I, I just agree. And one of the things I want to jump in real quick before I forget, but I saw uh, Rance there. He he was hooking up to the frame of a building and using the building as an antenna. Yeah, the windowsill. Right. So, Chris, now well, background for me and you guys I carried the Prick 77. I love the friggin' radio because, number one, I was junior, all right? I'm this little dude. I'm coming into the friggin', um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what do you, I'm, I'm coming into the unit. I'm the new guy. Everybody else is taking the bolt guns. I know immediately I am not getting my hands on a bolt gun for at least nine months. Ain't nobody going to give me one. I'll get shots with it, but I'm not going out anywhere with it. So I'm taking the radio and I'm running with the radio. Now, I already been through Call for Fire and all that with ARS, and I went to the SEAL one at Little Creek. So I've done the SEAL program at their building in Little Creek that does the whole freaking we're going to invade the world thing. Then I went to FO school in, in uh, Stones Bay, and then I went to FO school in Hanson. And then I did all the Call for Fire in 29 Palms when I did CACs. So I did uh, live fire minefields. I've dropped everything. I love the radio because of the freedom it gave me and what it allowed me to do. And I didn't mind carrying it. So like Chris was saying early, the Marine Corps sent me to so many radio schools because I was like, yeah, I want to go because I liked using the radio. And just a funny kind of side note for people listening because we are on a podcast and we are supposed to be entertaining you guys out there. Heartbreak Ridge, Gunny Highway, right? Clint Eastwood. That's a true story. During the invasion of Grenada, a recon team from 2nd Recon Battalion, I think it was 2nd, couldn't, their fucking radios were nuked, shot, didn't work, couldn't get through. They reattached phone lines, called Camp Lejeune. Camp Lejeune relayed to the friggin' naval group. Then the naval group got them called for fire onto the island to get them that they were pinned down in a fucking radio station or something. But the Marine Corps team had to build a communication system because their radio went out. And what they did is they had the presence of mind because what phone numbers back then in the 80s did they know? They remembered Camp Lejeune. They called Camp Lejeune and then Camp Lejeune called the battle group. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And stuff. And it's just like, like what you're talking about, too, is like, you know, tapping into like the Mars systems or you can even do the HF, you know, telephone relays. And again, too, it might be unsecured comms, though, but as a latch-ditch effort, I mean, if you can't communicate, you know, the chances of you succeeding are, are, are highly unlikely. And in regards, kind of going back to that post I put up on Instagram uh, earlier this morning, um, one thing I look at is like, hey, if I was to operate in a high-dense urban environment as a sniper team where I don't have the luxury of maybe sticking an antenna out, you know, outside the window or, or, or streaming or straining some, you know, long wire – um, how do I tap into what's currently around me inside that structure to radiate a signal outwards? 
And so one of the examples that I was kind of playing around with last night was just simply using an alligator clip with a wire, catching it to a metal uh, metal frame window, also making sure that window was grouted itself, and then just kind of seeing if I can communicate with that. And actually, it was pretty surprising that I was actually able to get a couple signals out there and even work some digital uh, comms as well, too, with the JSA call program. So, again, it's just kind of thinking outside the box, and I think that's something that we're kind of lacking and it kind of goes back into maybe like that field craft or trade cap trade craft skill set. Um, we've been so dependent on satcom communications for the longest time because you know really who's really going to contest us. Um, but kind of when shit hits the fan, if you don't know how to operate back on you know HF, um, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Not just like in the military standpoint, but even at the civilian standpoint, especially if you know if a family is dependent upon you. Well, that's just it. We talk about, you know, plans in in the civilian world, but did you have a comm plan? I mean, a lot of people might have an exit plan, have a grab bag plan, you know, go bag. You know, I'm going to grab this bag. I'm going to do this and do that. But what happens if you're at two different places? You know, I'm here and something happens and then somebody else is on the other side of town and now we got to link up, but nothing's working. So where's the communication plan? If somebody's at work and somebody's at home and now we need to get two people to the same place at the same time. You know, are you thinking about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just having a good pace plan in place. It's not just a military acronym. Um, it's also it's, it's highly, uh, you know, as a civilian stuff that you want to have a good pace plan as well, too. Yep. Yep. And you were mentioned I, I was a big long wire fan. I, to me, I like the fishing line better because the way the reel was, it was so small. I can throw the reel up. I can move it around. And to me, the 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 real the antenna in the reel, the, we call it the fishing line. The fishing line was usually my best option because it was it was easy to hide. Um, it was easy to retrieve. And if you kind of lost it and left it, it was really just a roll of copper wire on a fishing reel um, type of it. And, and it was easy to throw up into trees, you know, so you can get it high into the trees if you needed to because it wasn't much bigger the reel-wise than a baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, you know, like with uh, taking that course out there in Vegas last year with the Mojave Repeater guys – I mean, that's what they focused on, too, was just like getting back to how to utilize your radio, you know, kind of talking about brevity, right, which kind of plays into team communication skills, especially like for these like sniper team matches, just using brevity, you know, being clear, and concise, getting to the point, using pro words, um, going over a pace plan, what a pace plan is, how to set up a robust pace plan. And again, though, like, I mean, I learned more in two days taking their course than I did for the longest time in the Army. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't have any communication experience with the Army. I mean, we've done our things here and there. But the reality is the Army only has one course that's kind of dedicated to communications, and that's Arslick at Fort Benning. But again, they might run maybe six, seven courses a year, uh, maybe with 30, 40 students at a time. You know, it's, they're not really producing a lot of numbers. But for that typical infantryman, you know, like that private that just came out of basic training that now is, is carrying a radio – he has no real formal training on that radio system except for maybe how to turn it on and how to operate single channel plain text. And again, though, like we're just, we're not setting him up for success. Right. Yeah. 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 I and, remember I, and you know, soldiers and, and you know, I, I was in a weapon squad for a long time. Um, a little bit, we do it a little bit different than you guys did over there in the Marine Corps, but you know, within our infantry platoons was a weapon squad that was organic and so we had our two machine guns and then all of our special weapons. And then, you know, the platoon RTO, he, he belonged technically to weapon squad, even though he worked for the platoon sergeant and platoon leader 
um, on the day-to-day basis. But so I'd get in those new soldiers and or or younger guys or whoever, and he you know he'd get assigned to be in the RTO. And usually they they took the guy with the highest GT score. They took the kid who already had a bachelor's degree before he came in the army. You know something like that. And they make that kid the RTO, and you know usually it was some OJT. They learn how to program a radio. They learn how to fill a radio. That was it. You know they didn't know anything. You know it, outside of the antenna that was that was specifically attached to their their radio. <laughs> the one it came with the whipper, the tape, nothing else, right? Yeah, you know, they had the long whip or the short whip, and yeah. other than the antenna, they had no idea how to make any of the comms work. Right. Uh, Anything about you know uh, antenna theory? They didn't understand uh, or signal theory. They didn't understand how to make antennas. They didn't understand you know uh, you know they, a little bit of etiquette. You know maybe a little bit of reporting, but you know there was no line of sight analysis, no pace planning, you know no signal planning at all. Um, you know it was just like oh we have these radios and they're going to work, and we thought more often than not that they they just didn't right. Uh, they just didn't they didn't work in the capacity we needed to because they couldn't reach over the distances that we needed to them. Well, and that was the big thing. I mean, that's like, you know, you look at the Hat Creek type stuff. Why there? Because the communication doesn't get out of the mountains, right? When you're in a valley like uh, Hell's Canyon, how do you get that signal out of that valley and around the corner? You can't turn a corner with the radio wave, you know? So it, it, it's, it's like, what do you got to do to get communication out of, you know, Hell's Canyon? And, and things like that. And then talking Marine Corps differences, I can talk to anybody out there. Like, like I did a lot of ships. You know, I was on the Austin, the Trenton, the Guadalcanal, and the Nashville. So I always had helicopters and planes with me. And if I had the radio, I can talk to those officers and say, hey, sir, I'm going to be on the radio and I'll be talking to you. Okay, see you then. And then even on a regimental kind of maneuver, I'm, they say, okay, Frank, you're going to go on, get on this helicopter and you're going to go over here and you're going to go do this. When I cut through the battalion area, I'm going to then cut through the air wings area and there's a Harrier right there. I got a Harrier right where I'm bivouacked. And that guy I can talk to. I don't need a third party between me and him. And that was sort of the difference why the Marine Corps focused on like me as Lance Corporal to be able to do radio stuff because I can speak to that guy myself. And if I'm in a jam, hey, sir, I need shit right here, and he'll do it. And and so that's kind of cool with us. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the Marine Corps, close air support, right? I mean, that was us. They they I literally have photographs of in CACs, and I use those little box cameras that they put at a wedding at the time. They're the little Kodak and they're the, a cardboard box. You disposable. can, yeah, disposable. You can see the pilot's face in the jet when he came over to say thanks. So basically I'm on a hill and I'm calling in shit all day and the pilot comes through, he drops his ordinance and he'll wing around and he'll come over us. He'll flip the plane upside down and he'll say thanks and leave. Well, I yeah. took a picture of him with the thing, and you can see the guy's face. <laughs> it's like that scene from Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of Tom Cruise, what Chris was saying, they brought down the spaceship in Oblivion using the building as an antenna to give it the relay signal. So Tom Cruise in Oblivion, the sci-fi movie, they had the alien invasion, and they had to call a ship from space down. They used the building as an antenna the resistance did 
and the signal was going out and, and they made the building the antenna. Yeah, I've heard some pretty cool high-end stories of, of guys using uh, different things, you know, uh, pieces of terrain, buildings, things of that nature. Or just to even using your skyway. Like you're, for example, you're talking about like, you know, you're kind of encompassing, say, a valley and you can't get a signal out. Well, that's where like the endless communications comes into play for your short to medium range distances. So, yeah, again, it just goes back to just having a little bit of knowledge in that tradecraft and knowing how to employ it. And again, that's what at CR2, that's what we're trying to accomplish is like, hey, you know, we got the shooting piece done, but there's some other you know, tradecraft or some skill sets out there that we want people to kind of tap into, um, such as communications or drones. Um, so again, you just we're just looking for ways to kind of just expand the community and expand our knowledge throughout, and just really just kind of just balance those ideas off each other and just become just better better at what we do. Yeah, well, well-rounded marksman, right? A little bit of everything. We want we want to we want to be able to survive out there and operate and and not sweat it. You know, can you start a fire? Kaylin talks about that stuff all the time, right? Survival skills and woodman skills. You know, this is yeah. just another element. Kind of interesting to see our brethren go out and do good things because uh, one of my sniper instructors, um, you know, he taught shooting for a while when he got out, um, and he's actually on that show alone um for a little while and and now he teaches survival classes and you know it's just it's that it's that propensity for self-alliance you know self-reliance that we're that we're trying to get after and i think that the community the sniper community that's kind of you know uh we 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 kind of got a a way of calling everything field craft but you know those are all those trade craft all those skill sets that encompass what we need to do um you know and kind of going back to like what your podcast was saying was like you know, ELR is cool and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive stuff and we should use that to push technology to the limits, but it's not practical for, you know, except for that maybe, you know, 0.1% of, of actual engagements of actual missions, you know, for the average guy with a long gun, even on the special operations side, you know, pushing past 1500 meters, it's just, it's just not realistic. And it's probably, you know, I think Chris was saying this earlier, but it's it's probably uh, um, uh, what uh, what did you say? Well, it's just I mean, it's just risky, risky, yeah. right, right. Well, and you know what? But here's what it was made for. Ukraine is exactly what this stuff is made for, if we think about it. Because now you have the mobile rocket launchers, right? How big? Yeah. You were shooting a truck. Okay, yes, you can shoot a truck at ELR distances and put holes in a rocket and fuck it up. Absolutely, you can. But now a mobile missile launcher has showed up to the battlefield, so you're shooting a tractor trailer. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is like, so how are we getting the distance to that trailer? Because we're seeing with with laser technology and also different sensors that you know you blast the you blast a laser at at a at a at a target to get a distance. And they've got systems now that can immediately pick up your location. Yeah, absolutely. A range estimating 1,500 meters plus. Well, you're going to have to do the map, and hopefully it's on a road, not in the field, right? So you're going to have to probably go with the map. Or, I mean, I've done it, and it sucks when you do the, uh, you know, the pace count. I'm going to go and go 100 meters that way and do an ang- uh, uh, a compass. I'm going to go 100 meters that way and do a compass, and I'm going to do the angles, right? Yeah, I mean, there's different techniques. I mean, I'm not saying that they, it can't happen. They suck. Yeah, and, well, and and like you know, like you're saying, it's it's 
gospel in a lot of ways. Are you willing to sacrifice your mission because you have to take that one, that one, that one singular shot on a certain target? You know, when, like you said, you could call in an airstrike, you could call in, you know, uh, artillery, you could call in the battleships out. You know, it, depending on how close you are to the ocean, there's there's so many options other than shooting. And and we should, like I said, we should always push that. Um, to make ourselves better and to increase our, our, our capability and our, our technology. But when we really kind of look at the practical application of it, and I've, I've wrote articles about this. We talked about it in a podcast like last year. You know, there's just no practical application for it. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, the situation changes so dynamically and put it out there. But, I mean, we should be realistic with – because it, you don't want to threaten the guy. It's, they're a small team, you know, and, and they're, they're a force multiplier if they're applied correctly. And so, right. you know, that's where you, you want to look at the dipl- displacements. You want to look at all these different things. Like, you have to have a plan. All right, I'm going to shoot at that. I'm going to expose my position. What's my escape route? What's my exit? Where am I going to make sure that I just don't have artillery come back at me? Because odds are they're just going to fucking... Traverse a turret on a tank and just start lobbing rounds at you where they think you are or whatever, and you know hell if a fucking puff of smoke comes up and they got it because then the tank's gonna do a much better job at ranging and getting you than you are gonna do getting back at the tank. Well, and I think we kind of you know I think Hollywood's kind of the blame, but the sniper can deal a lot more damage with a radio than he can with a rifle. But because of the glorification of these long-range niche shots, you know, we focus on that long-range kill. But the reality is, is like you give me a sniper team that is proficient with a radio, that has excellent observation skills, have they have excellent, uh, they have the ability to to get into a position undetected, and then to observe that target area. That to me is a force multiplier. But just, you know, lobbing rounds at 1,500 plus meters on, let's say, human, human-sized human targets, to me, that's just irresponsible and it's just not practical. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and, and I want to I put this out there because, you know, we, we kind of we hinted at it before in some of the older podcasts. Um, you know, I'm the dude who helped bring the Mark 22 to the conventional side of the United States Army. Um, it's being fielded right now because of my efforts over the last couple of years. It, it's not because I don't want our snipers to be able to shoot. I absolutely want them to shoot. I want them to think about what is practical and what is going to accomplish the mission successfully. And, you know, yes, you may have the ability, but do you have the capability to shoot that far? And those are two different things and people don't understand that just because I can physically lob around 1500 meters. And just because I can hit, I can hit cold steel at 1500 meters on a flat range. Doesn't mean that, when that when that person's moving erratically, when that person's you know on a roving patrol, you know, w- there's no plan. There's no plan for shooting movers at 1,500 meters right now. I can tell you that as a fact. There's no plan for that. And so, what are we really shooting at 1,500 meters? What are we really shooting past 1,200 meters? That's that you know in the man-sized target realm, and we're expecting a reasonable probability to hit. It'd be really kind of machine gun emplacement type of thing, and nobody's doing that because everybody's mobile right now. You don't see them emplacing. It's all movement. So to, to me, it's the vehicles is really all you have, and I, I'm not going to play the game on the vehicle, you know what I mean, unless I got a radio. Well, let's get off our soapbox, talk about a couple other things 
that are going on pretty right now that I think are pretty cool. Um, we just came out of a night vision course last weekend. And uh, for one, I mean, I, I knew that it was something that we needed to try to get after. Um, but, man, seeing the capability of night vision these days and the lasers and the floods and the things like that, it, it, it's pretty impressive. And, and, and we had some law enforcement guys come through and they were like, hey, man, we've, we've never trained like this before. Um, you know, they just they really don't do night shoots or if they do, it's very, very limited so being able to hit a 900-yard uh, target or nearly 900-yard target at night was was was, a, was impressive to them. It, you know, it, it's funny because we used to do a night event at every match. And then everybody didn't like it anymore. They wanted to go out drinking. And we used to do that low visibility. Sometimes we'd have night vision included. Sometimes we didn't. But you're right. I mean, it is changing. It's becoming so accessible. I mean, I have a big night vision forum on Sniper's Hide and there was a big fight and everybody got and you know, I hate you, you hate me, we hate each other. Well, now like some other people, because this is what you guys are saying is becoming such a popular thing. Guys went out and smoothed it over all on their own and everybody's like making men's to bring back like um, TNVC and this guy and that guy because they were fighting because it was growing so big so fast and it's available to civilians, and it was sort of at odds with each other, and they and they yeah. they beat they battled a little. Yeah, and we, I mean, so I didn't even consider. I knew we wanted to do it. I thought we'd have a lot of mill and le only. I didn't realize like how many civilians would be truly interested in because I didn't realize the availability. You know, they they they've got refurbished PBS thirties, you know, which is what we've been using. Uh, you know, in the in the on the army side for the last decade or, or more. And, and you're picking those things up for five grand and less that are refurbs, you yeah. know, like, dude, that's, that's, that's reasonable now when we're, when we're really kind of talking about things. And then, and then, you know, with companies like AGM and a couple of these other companies coming forward and putting thermals out there that are under $5,000. And I'm, I don't know if you've seen any of that footage that, that we put up, but that was out of an AGM thermal. Um, and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, incredible the definition that we're seeing from those systems oh it's getting so good i mean the even the white phosphorus is so great and now that it's going to the color and everything else so you can get guys going into like you know that mid-gen range for little money yeah yeah well and then we like we look at it too like you know in regards to like building the marksman or like having that total marksman concept but you know the reality is you have 24 hours in a day you know, half of those hours are spent during daytime, you know, uh, operations. Though, but what about the night? And it was actually surprising, though, because there's a lot of things that goes into shooting at night. Um, yes, you know what I'm saying? Your fundamentals, your shot process should carry over. But what we see in stuff, though, is kind of like when the uh, switch goes off and, you know, darkness arises, your fundamentals kind of go out the window. So it's actually really good to see the reinforcement of, of that to kind of get back to the basics, to kind of shoot some drills to have these guys push out the distance, and over the past weekend, we had really bad uh, wound conditions. I think we were right around like 5%, 6%, but these guys were able to ring out, touch steel at 800-something uh, yards um, with relative ease and with a lot of repeatability. Um, so again, though, just doing that night vision course, having them employ their systems, uh, you know, thanks again to Knight's uh, Army coming down and, and supporting us with the PBS-30s. Uh, it was just really good, and I think it's something that we definitely want to sustain for the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
want to say that and, and give those guys a lot of thanks. You know, I talked to the I talked to the guys that we knew over there at Knights Armament, and they came through, um, and, and and had one of their guys coming into town, and he brought up twelve sets of PVS thirty, some of their high end, some of their high FOM tubes. Um, we were able to provide that to our students as you know, hey, if you don't have your own devices, come and use ours, learn what it's all about. Um, and then be able to make an informed decision going out. I mean, that's what we always say with buying gun stuff, right? Is, hey, go take a class, go to a competition, see what these guys are doing before you spend your money, see what you really need. And we were kind of able to provide that on, you know, AGM with thermal and then and then Knight's Armament with the uh, the I-squared. And it, it was really cool stuff. And, and like Chris said, too, is, you know, we incorporated some drills in there, not only just reinforcement drills, but then also, you know, we got after these guys and we're like, okay, hey, now it's nighttime. You know, range estimation is, is a real thing, and, and determining the distance to the target is tough, you know, under these conditions. How are you figuring out, you know, when you're using, uh, you know, when you're using I-square and you can't pick up the edge of the target, you know there's a target there, you can see the mass of it, but you can't pick up the edges, how are you going to range that thing out? Not everybody always has a weapon-mounted laser rangefinder, and so even the handheld, yes, it works at night, but can you see it? And so we taught these guys, you know, how to how to maximize their danger space and how to use the the speed drop drills. And and man, they was I mean, we had guys just real rapidly everything from from zero to to you know, six hundred yards was getting engaged in seconds. You know, nice, nice, yep. And one of my favorite drills at night with like the MPA drill we would do is we throw a spot with none of that stuff on there, or you could even do it. But basically, you get everybody lined up on the target, put a target out there for 600 yards, get them all lined up and everything, and then turn their shit off and have them still shoot, but after. Like, what we would do is have them set up their their natural point of aim with a spotlight on the target, and then turn the spotlight off, and then give them, like, a, a, a little delay. You know, it'd be like, light off. Fire. And then see if they get the impact of the hit. You know, how good is their position? How good is their trigger control when everything goes dark? You know, because you could still get the hits and all that. So we would use that sort of similar to closing the scope cap on somebody to do an MPA drill. You just turn, you're just cutting out the light at night. Yeah, I want something too, because, you know, you know, I mean, because you've been to a few of our courses, we always kind of like to work in like these mentorship groups and kind of team up, you know, individuals to kind of work together as a team. And, you know, we told the guys at nighttime, when it really comes to nighttime engagements, it's really about that team communication and working well, having a dialogue, having, you know, a, you know, a certain lingo between you and your partner, because, you know, the reality is at nighttime, like you need to have someone, you know, one, you know, illuminate that target for you while you're, you know, working like the, the distance out to it and getting ready to engage it. And so it was really cool, cool to see that. I mean, we had, you know, civilians working with military guys, military guys working with law enforcement guys. Um, but yeah, by, by day two, these guys were running and gunning and talking each other onto a target and putting them down fairly quickly. So it, again, overall, it was just really good to see that. That's all. Yeah. And, and, you know, night vision is, has those little tiny technical things, you know, like somebody just understanding the exit pupil on your scope, you know, and yeah. that's going to help you see a little bit better and what power magnifications and things like that. Um, you know, all those little, little tiny, they're just these little things. I, I, I mean, it's like hitting the, the double pump in the light on the Kestrel. How many people know to, to double pump it, right? And to switch it over from weather to the other mode. Yeah. You know, it's it's that little shortcut. Hey, I'm on, I'm going to I'm going to check the wind, but I'm in ballistics. So, I already have my weather side at wind, 
but I'm in ballistics. I just bump, bump. I hit that button twice. I pull my wind, bump, bump. I hit my button twice. I'm back where I started. And, you know, I just grab my wind with the Kestrel and now I'm back into ballistic mode. So it's little tiny things like that with night vision. That's important to have not only what you guys did, but to have technical support from the companies. Yeah. Well, and we kind of those things, you know, when we're talking about considerations, like for one, hey, wind doesn't stop just because it's at night. Um, so that's something you need to think about. And then, you know, uh, how to use lasers and how to use the floods. So that way, you know, one guy's offset illuminating the target while the other guy's engaging it or vice versa. Um, talking about, you know, light discipline and stuff like that. Talking about which devices actually emit lasers. A lot of people don't know that, hey, your laser range finding device commit, emits a laser that could be visible, you know, through some, uh, you know, night vision devices. And then also talk about, you know, data management because we brought it up to these guys. We're like, OK, hey, cool. Um, you know, it's nighttime and now you've got to shoot 800 yards. Um, so how are you going to determine what your elevation is? You know, well, your junkie laser that won't get 800 yards during the day will get 800 at night. Yeah, well, that, yeah, absolutely. But it's like, you know, I was like, how are you going to determine what your elevation is? Yeah. If you, you know, if I take that Kestrel away, which a lot of them didn't have Kestrels, it was like, well, what are you going to do? And they're like, well, you know, I got it written down. It's like, cool. So you can't see at night to engage the target, but you can see your data, you know? And so it's like, well, okay, you know, now we taught them, you know, we told them like, Hey, this is, there's a thing called luminescent tape and, you know, and putting, putting, you know, putting another piece of packing tape over it. So now it's almost laminated and you can write your data on this thing that, you know, you can have in your pocket, pull out and it glows. And now you can see what your data is. You know, you could use that during the day and I would because you'd be charging it, you know, and then, you know, because, you know, it needs a little bit of sunlight in order to, to create, you know, to emit light later on. But and then, you, you know, you pull it out later on and now you've got a data card you can read. Yeah. Genius, right? So simple. Yeah, it's genius. I got stuff that glows in the dark, but I don't think anybody wants to see it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> we had some good support for like Knights Armament. You know, uh, AGM Global, they came out. Uh, we had a bunch of lasers. They brought, they provided us D-balls um, so that way we could put a laser at least in every team, if not on every device. Um, and it was it was really cool. I think it was real successful. We're going to start offering that course more often. And then we also want to uh, even offer it as maybe an add-on to our, you know, to our three-day three courses that, like, on, on the second night we're out there, be able to go out and do an abbreviated version you know, have some units come through, uh, or, you know, bring some units with us or if they got their own units and be able to, you know, provide that. I think that, I think that we're going to go forward with that in Texas and maybe Virginia. Nice. Nice. I mean, and that's, and it's exactly what you said, man. It's making people more well-rounded marksmen. It's offering more to people. It gets them in the door, you know, cause everybody's got such a wide variety of interests now and the internet's making it so easy to find. I mean, that was the thing Chris was talking about. Um, you know, it's, it's my kind of with the app, with the live streaming I'm doing, and, and we look at it by extension, these podcasts. We're trying to give information to people almost in real time. Like we see it. How, I mean, think about you guys and me, all of us. How often do we see something on Facebook or we go out to a match or we're doing a training event and then you can't wait to get out and test it, try it, talk about it or say, Hey, look what I just saw. And so having these tools to be able to, to, um, educate the end user and give them options, man, I think is awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else yeah. you got? I mean, we're we're forty five in. What do you guys you got? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, well, we got a Mount Rifleman course coming up. Uh, we got, so I'm gonna probably see you what next week. Yeah, you guys should talk about that for a minute. I think you're probably full, but yeah, next week. Um, you guys are gonna. We got snow right now, dude. It's snowing hard, man. You're gonna be snowed in. But um, no. When do you come out? So yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to head out there probably next Tuesday, start driving. Oh, yeah, look at that. Looks brisk. <laughs> up? Probably, you know, around next Tuesday, I'll be in town. Uh, maybe link up with you Wednesday or Thursday. And um, so, yeah, we're going to be out there at Cameo. So where they held that NRL Hunter finale at last year. Um, I'm be- so kicking my – Cameo invited me out, like, immediately. And Mark and I drove right by it when we went to Utah – we didn't stop. We're like, nah, we're trucking. We're going. Fuck this. That place is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. It's a couple thousand acres. It's 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 uh, run by the state, but it's not one of those things where, you know, you almost expect a state-run facility to be kind of lame. And uh, and the guy, who, uh, Walt, who runs it out there, he can, you know, He's got a, a, a great staff, and and the and the uh, the facility is just amazing. And I think that they just opened up a two thousand yard, uh, almost like flat range that's up on the mountain, if I understood it correctly. And so you can you can go up there to confirm all your data all the way out to distance, and then they kind of have that shooting course that we use a lot of for the finale, where you can go out and shoot in all those different angles, you know, cross valley, uphill, downhill you know, get some really cool wind effects. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're going to try to, um, you know, we're going to try to uh, supply to our student. We're bringing out some smoke so we can show some of those different effects, maybe be able to get that, the wind compressing off the mountains and stuff. Um, But yeah, no, we're not full yet. Um, We still have some slots available. So if guys want to check that out, obviously CR2ShootingSolutions.com, they can get signed up. Uh, We got a few slots. And then, and then in town there, Walt hooked us up with a guy who, who I guess shoots and teaches there pretty regularly that runs um, uh, a hotel in town. I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, they're giving us like $60 a night and that includes breakfast the next morning at their restaurant. Wow. That's crazy, man. I, yeah, I need to get information on that. Cause that's some serious freaking hookup right there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's just going to be really cool. We're looking forward to it. Um, you know, we got some people coming out from uh, field and stream that are going to be covering it. Um, so I'd be looking forward to that, getting, seeing that article go out there and, and, and maybe be able to reach out to more of that hunting community. Is um, it snow or one of his guys? No, it's not snow. It's, uh, I, I don't know if, I, I don't know if there's any relation there or not. Um, uh, I don't remember the dude's name off the top of my head. It's, it's Matt something. Oh, no worries. Yeah. It, I, I might know who it is anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, Cameo's so awesome out here. And I mean, coming out West, it's just, it's expanding people's minds with the stuff. I mean, because you had just such a hard, you know, eight-year sort of run of PRS, PRS, PRS that turned into this sort of, you know, repeat, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. And and now, like, you got people breaking out and wanting to, you know, push these envelopes and get a little more practical, get out there and walk and stretch our legs. And it's turning into a really nice thing. I mean, the stuff Chris is doing, the stuff you guys are doing, the stuff everybody's looking at to just break out of that repetitive mold. Yeah. And we teamed up with, so Chris is actually going to be instructing with me out there. Um, you know, we actually, we reached out to all the students we have so far yesterday and told them, Hey, go shoot a craft drill and bring it with you. Cause we're going to, you know, we're going to do some analysis. We're going to do some comparison, have them shoot some craft drills while they're in town. 
um, and be able to do some comparison there. But I think it's going to be really cool. We're going to get we're going to get really really hot on some of that positional shooting because you know positional shooting when you're standing on flat ground is super easy, right? I mean, well, it's I mean it's pretty easy, but you know now when you put talk about balancing your rifle on those rocks or you're standing you know downhill or you know any of those other scenarios that you could think of in that kind of terrain, we're going to be able to replicate, and we're looking forward to that a lot. Ninety percent of cameo has like obstacles on it but they were yeah. grown not built right, right. <laughs> you know you're like behind a rock you're over here there's a tree there's like you're weaving in and out of these things so all the prop stuff was meant to replicate some of these things but now you're gonna see these things and is the tree too bushy is the rock too angled is it this too far back can i get too close and it's just like the cd stuff you know where they just use the natural terrain to create your prop and obstacle. Now, granted, in those situations, the solution is you should try pot and make the rules yourself. But at the same time, I should, I would recommend try the bags, try without a bag. I would do three ways. I would basically, I would walk up to something that's in front of me and try to shoot around it with nothing. Then I'd walk up in front of me with my bag and try to shoot around it with the bag. Then I'd walk up with my tripod and make my own rule and then see how that goes. So if you're students, that would be my piece of advice. As in when you're out in your mentor groups and you're doing these things, shoot it the first way with nothing, shoot it the second way with one thing and shoot it the third way with your tripod or putting it all together. Maybe it's, you know, bag on the front, tripod on the back, you know, maybe it's something like that, but I would work multiple ways so you could see it. And, and it's, I mean... It's like what Chris was saying in the back, oh, you know, it's trial and error. It's see what works. It's kind of going out there and doing it in order to experience it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When I went out there and I shot the finale, I remember laying on one rock with my bipods on another rock with my rear bag on a third rock. And it, it was actually a super, super stable position. But it's like, man, I would have never envisioned myself being in this precarious situation, having to make these kinds of engagements on these little targets that were hard to find to begin with in this terrain with, you know, with with high winds and them compressing up a mountain and everything else that you could just kind of throw at it. But it was it was super cool. So that's why as soon as I went out there, I knew like, hey, man, I got to figure out how to come and do a course. So I'm looking forward. To it. I think it's going to be really good. Unfortunately, Rance can't make it out with me, which is kind of a bummer. How's your, how, how's how's that sweet ass Ruben doing, man? How how's he doing? He's got that tight ass going on over there, and we kind of miss him. Well, it's still tight, and uh, and hopefully he listens to this podcast so he can hear us talking about his ass. Because uh, the last time a picture went up of his back, uh, the internet kind of lit on fire. So yeah, I mean he's he's kind of the ass man on the internet. You know he he is known. Facebook, Ruben's only known for his ass. I mean, it, he's really, that's it. Like some people you might recognize, oh, I know that mustache. I know that, like I met Marco. Marco was on the podcast. The first time I met Marco, I went, you're that seal. He goes, how did you know that? Because he is the picture of him in front of the Kandahar airport on that first land. And he's doing yeah. that high port seal shit, his hair. He had fucking gel in his hair and it stands four inches off the top of his head. And it's yeah. like, dude, look at your fucking head. How can I not tell that's not you? Your hair is identical, you know? So that's that's Ruben, man. It's your butt now, dude. We we're, we recognize that. It's like, I'm in a crowd, and that's my height, so I'm seeing asses. 
And it's like, dude, I know that ass. That's Ruben. <laughs> oh, and I remember, I remember, and, you know, we'd have to sit on guard, you know, and a lot of times it was at night. And so you'd start to be able to know who was walking up by their footstep. Yep. I'd be like, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's my squad leader or that's this guy from my, from my squad or, oh, here comes the, the platoon daddy. You know, I can tell, you know, usually you had some quick chop, choppy steps and that was the PO because he was walking with a stick up his ass. Uh, you know, you could, you could tell who it was just by the way they were walking across the concrete. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, we miss Ruben, man. So Yeah, we'll get him on one, one of these days soon. He's, uh, he, he's working on, he's getting ready to retire, uh, I think. Uh, he was already supposed to retire, but then he didn't. So maybe he'll stay another ten. I don't know. Um, but yeah, once he once he's out, um, we're going to be doing a lot more with him, and because his availability will open up and be able to get. You, do you know if Chris is going to talk about like the Flatlanders coming out and with the altitude up there? Because that should be what isn't that almost eight thousand or a little more? Uh, I think it is around there. So yeah, one of the things that we wanted Chris to talk about, and really one of the reasons why we we linked up with him was because of his experience in the mountains. So obviously we're not going to get into like mountaineering. Uh, there's just not enough time for that. And uh, there's a lot of rip shit with it, but we are going to talk about, uh, you know, some, some mountain um, considerations and talk about maybe some loadout stuff and, you know, how to, how to prep yourself to be in that environment. Well, and you know, that's the bitch. Like you come from Georgia and you're going to come to grand junction. You're at eight, 9,000 feet above sea level. And like you were talking about that tabletop up there that they have, it, it luckily in Cameo they have like side by sides for everyone. Yeah. But imagine you now got to get up there. Yeah. Well, I could. Yeah. I mean, so when I was out there for the competition, and you know me, I I put a I was a big dude to begin with, put on a couple of retirement pounds, and then uh, you know I went up there for the finale, and and I remember the loophole stage, the one that the. Uh, John Snodgrass and a couple of the dudes from Liverpool were actually running. Uh, they put you at the bottom of this uh, little hill, you know, and you had to run up it. And, and, and then when you got up, to, you had to deploy all your stuff, find your targets, and, and, and engage. And I think it was probably maybe 100 yards kind of run, but it was 100 yards run up a hill. And, I, I mean, I got to the top, and, you know, he said something to me, and I just I, – I remembered, like, I don't even know – he understood me, but I don't know if anything that I said made, you know, was, was intelligent because <laughs> I was just breathing so hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think we're good, man. We're about an hour into it. What do you guys think? Yeah. 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 Let's wrap it up. Um, hey, one other thing we wanted to put out there is we got a uh, covert entry class coming up too. And I think that's going to be really cool. We're hosting another guy. Um, and they're they're going to run that course, and we're running at our location, and we're we're pretty pumped up about that. It's kind of kind of putting a bow on all those different skill sets. Yep, yep. And and for me, I just want to kind of well, I got high TV going. I'm probably going to do a live with uh, Way tomorrow, but uh, check the schedule for high TV. The um, we're ready to start, you know, scheduling events and things. And Chris is going to stop over tomorrow, and we're going to talk about that Andy Reinhardt post with the uh, scope height overbore. Uh, and so we're going to bring that up uh, a little bit and talk about, you know, when you go from prone to standing and looking at your, you know, a neutral head position. So uh, we're going to go live at one o'clock or so tomorrow, my time, um, and, and talk about that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, check out the Sniper's Hide. We're throwing badges up so you know our schedule. If something's scheduled, there'll be a, a 
there'll be a tickle up there to tell you it's happening. And, um, you know, so you guys do that. So I'm moving forward. We're, 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 we're ready to roll and we're kind of doing all these things. And then, um, I'm just going to leave you with kind of between the night vision, between the ELR, between all this other stuff we've been talking about, it goes to the new Jack Reacher stuff, right? Details matter. The, you know, why they get so much cow fucking feed details matter. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having us on. We look forward to every time. Look forward to see you again soon. Yeah, yeah. See you guys in uh, two weeks or so. Um, are in the back, are in the front. See you guys later. See you later, Frank.